cool. All right, and we're on the air. And that air is breathable. Uh, <laughs> so we got a couple things that we're going to be doing today. Uh, it's a little bit of a hectic week. Uh, we had a lot of ideas and things that we wanted to do this week, but Wizards decided they were going to give us uh, a few spoilers for Capenna, and we're excited about those, so we're going to talk about those briefly, as there's mm -hmm. not really a whole lot to talk about with those. And then we're going to move to a discussion about power levels and speed of decks about the basically the rule zero pre-game discussion yeah. primarily for casual games if you're playing a competitive game there's not really a rule zero for that you know you kind of go into a competitive <laughs> and you're like this is a competitive game we're gonna do stuff um and it's just gonna happen All right. uh so yeah. yes Whew. All right. Um, so, uh, do you still have all the photos I sent you? Because I have a bunch of photos still on my uh, device. I'm going to be flipping through as we get into some of these minor uh, spoilers for Capenna. Actually, well, yeah. The great you, thing is we have them in yeah. our Discord. A little shameless plug there. The League of Extraordinary Casuals wah, Discord wah, wah, wah. that you can find us in. Which is linked uh, on the same page as our podcast at rss.com slash podcast slash L-O-T-E-C-C-M-D-R. Go. <laughs> you can listen to us yeah. while you talk um, to us or chat with us. Um, we're constantly bored. Someone responds eventually. We have uh, some cool locals <laughs> who are also in the community. And we're also mm -hmm. um, getting to be pretty good friends with the filthy casuals uh who are a pair of people who stream and they're really big in the casual community too online so you can meet up with some of them too and they're great people and they're starting to hang yeah. out with our discord too but we're always quiet so there's that um <laughs> so before we actually talk about some of these quote-unquote spoilers um let's talk about how we're going to be doing spoilers in the future so that when people yeah. listen to us, they're not like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. So mm -hmm. much like how we do our deck techs, we were thinking that we're going to kind of say, like, briefly cover a section of cards, like this cycle of lands or this keyword or mm -hmm. something like that, right? Is that what we were thinking? And then... Yeah. Go ahead. Um Obviously, if there's, like, a specific card we have a lot of thoughts on, like, uh, how we did in Kamigawa, we, like, talked about specific commanders we like. There's, uh, but I never think, I don't think we ever want to be in the position where we're just talking about, um, cards because they've been revealed, you know? There's, we're definitely a commander-focused podcast, um, almost entirely, <laughs> um, with a very few references to other formats, um, and not every card has, um... And this is a good thing, by the way. Not every card is made for Commander, and not every card really needs to be talked about, you know. But, like, sometimes mechanics, if they're newly revealed, or uh, cycles of stuff we think are interesting, will come out. Right on. Yeah. And we'll mention cards that we find interesting, specifically, like, for casual, like you said. Mm -hmm. Kind of go from there, you know? Yeah. Um... So let's dig in, yeah? Well, yeah, there's, uh, there's not many new cards from Capernia. <laughs> uh, Cap Capernia? What, what? Yeah. 
Capanna? Capanna. Capanna, wow. You got to think of it like an Italian, eh? <laughs> you got to add a, add a couple of syllables, eh? <laughs> just a wee. We just add letters because we want to. Mm. Sounds magic-y. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, first um, thing I want to mention, the set symbol mm-hmm. looks fucking cool. <laughs> I was actually going to say that, too. It's so good. It's a pair It's a pair of brass knuckles with wings on the side. Like, nice. <laughs> we better get that as an equipment. Right? <laughs> I, I want winged, winged knuckles. I want brass knuckles for my Voltron deck. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I'm gonna catch these hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually really excited for this set. I think the art already looks amazing from what we have, and the whole theme of the crime families, I mean, just, I mean, who doesn't love a little bit of organized crime, am I right? Especially when it's in every color, it's not just black. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's the most refreshing thing, we're getting to see the evil side of band. Of everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, you're all bad guys. You just don't know it. And blue, you're more evil than the rest. We're just saying. <laughs> um, they're they're getting us ready for the 40k spinoff where everybody's evil. <laughs> Heretics. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's a couple things happening of how we got a hold of these spoilers that were put online. Um, so pretty much these have been around for about a week now, as far as online. Now the yeah, the, just about. the main spoiler that happened is they spoiled that there's going to be five commander decks for this set. Yeah. Which is more than a set has gotten in their new methods. Mm -hmm. And the five commander decks are going to be shards. Yeah, which is so exciting. I mean... I think shards have the most interesting design space in Commander. I think four color and five color get a little cluttered. I think two color is good, but gets a little bland. And uh, I, I like one color, but I feel um, sometimes it's hard to really, in one deck, branch out. You're kind of, with one deck, you're doing one strategy. Uh, so uh, I guess the best part to go here is, is like what those shards are going to be. So it's like, yeah. uh, there's white, blue, black, mm-hmm. and that's Esper? Yeah, that's Esper. Uh, they're being, uh, they're being called the Obscura family. Yeah, which is very good to see. Uh, they're going back to like, a more stealth. They, I feel like it's more demure. It's like blue, black with white, as opposed to, uh white, black with blue, if you know what I mean. It's like kind of a stealth espionage Yeah. Sneaky criminals. And Mm -hmm. then there's the blue, black, red, or Grixis, but they're being called the Maestros. So definitely makes you think that they're going to orchestrate different things happening on the field. (laughs) Yeah. Did you uh, see the Obnixilis art with the Maestros? Uh, The one where he's sacrificing somebody? He's sacrificing the leader of the maestros. Uh, you mean the former leader? We know who's the boss. <laughs> yeah, the former leader. <laughs> my, my boy obnoxious up in the house. Let's go. <laughs> the leader up to five seconds ago. <laughs> um, you only thought you were the maestro, but I was born in the chaos. Uh, yes. Um, oh God, a Grixis obnoxious. Oh. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, mm-hmm. And. And then we have uh, 
black, red, uh, black, red, green, which is uh, Jund, right? Yeah, Jund amount. How can I forget Jund? Um, and they're the, let me pronounce this right, Riveteers? Yeah. And the, the, yeah. the art for the box, for their theme booster, is like like a orcish, ogreish boxer with a gob, <laughs> goblin imp on his shoulder, like, you can do it, Rocky! You know? Give him the old <laughs> yeah, one, too. And this theme goes even deeper with it. I, I, we'll cover it when we get to the lands that were revealed, but <laughs> I'm very excited for this faction, I think. Uh, the, uh, the fourth one is Red, Green, White. Uh, so that's Naya mm-hmm. being called the Cabaretti. Yep. Uh, oh. Very what looks to be like what I would imagine is like opera performer type art with like a snake around so it's like uh, making a show of things so yeah you know. I don't really know we'll have to we'll have to see with them I think they're like the least obvious theme of all of them maybe they bring back mutate oh that'd be interesting you know I doubt they're gonna do this but since they're like uh, all nature themed because it's Naya I was thinking they were gonna be the drug cartel but I, I doubt Wizards is going there ooh <laughs> what if there's negative mutates like if you mutate an opponent's creature instead of your own <laughs> uh, and nice Gishath it's and a then when frog the, and then when their creature dies like your mutate comes into play on your side or something that'd be interesting ooh, ooh. I feel like it'd be more black green though in a way, yeah. but maybe, you know, I think Mark Rosewater's mm-hmm. forgotten how the color pie works, so it's possible. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I, but... I love Mark Rosewater, of great course. guy. He's it's not his fault alone that the that the sets are weird <laughs> sometimes, or unbalanced, <laughs> or reprinting broken cards, or Jinka taxes. Bring black planner chaos. <laughs> Uh, what's our what's our last one in our uh, shards uh, set here? Uh, we've got green, white, blue. So Bant. This is so these are all the original triumphs. So none of the cons uh, triumphs. Uh, and this is Nindo, right? Uh, they're called the Brokers. The Brokers. Oh, oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Nindo's the name on the uh... the land. Yeah. So uh, yeah, just so they're, by, just they're by their like name, the, I'm seeing a lot of control and taxing. Yeah. Which is, you know, green control. You know, give green some more something else too, right? Uh, like they got, they're gonna have like the green removal. They're gonna have the white uh, yeah. taxing you and the blue re- uh, controlling. It's it's my least favorite color combination. I'm just saying, blue white is that. on my shit list always. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, and these guys appear to be like uh, organized, like ba- like the they've uh, the corrupt bankers and politicians side of uh, organized crime. Fair. Yeah, with their fanciness, and uh, they have the only actual non-land card spoiled thus far from the set. New non-land card, I should say. Fair. So, about the yeah. lands that got spoiled. Uh, and you mentioned them already. Oh, so good. Uh, the triomes. Yeah. And they're the mm-hmm. they're the five color combinations we just mentioned. Uh, they're much like the I believe they were the Ikoria triomes, um, yep. 
which I'm still calling these tricycles. I don't care that they were named triomes because uh, these definitely don't have the word triome in the name because that would be lame in a city. Uh, <laughs> so they're going to have their uh, they're going to come into play tapped. They're going to have all three of their land types for the mana and they're going to have a cycling three for each mm -hmm. of these color combinations. And they're going to be five different ones than what was released before or rather the original uh, shards setups and they're pretty cool they look the art is great like oh. if you imagine if big o was done in a more modern uh modernized like cg art style like that's what all of these lands look like they're big city gaudy glorious looking mm. arts even for like mm -hmm. there's there's like even the green ones have nothing natural really about them. They're very big city. Yeah. Um, also note to note, uh, these do have cycling, but Mark Rosewater, I forget if it was on his Twitter or his Tumblr, confirmed that these are the only cycling cards in the set, so this isn't going to be a theme in the rest of the set that we're seeing. Yeah, I feel like they're just... Uh, they fit into the idea of the five commander decks that are going with it, and mm -hmm. they're they're cool. Yeah, and honestly, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I, I'm kind of I. It feels bad when there's like a cycle that doesn't get reprinted, that doesn't get the other half, because there's a mechanic that's tied to it that we can't see. Especially especially when it's a mechanic that's not really as flashy like cycling. Like, it's not going to ruin the theme of the set to have cycling at all. Um, at all, yeah. Like if there's just one mutate card, it would be a little weird, right? But, but I think I think this will work fine, and I've I'm kind of excited to have this this cycle finished. It, it is going to be nice. Um, yep. Speaking of finishing something, um, yeah. the other cards spoiled um, are actually cards that already exist, but now they're being actually printed like they were intended, because the stranger the Stranger Things cards are getting their actual release version. Yeah. And they have amazing art. They 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 did a they did a great job with these. I th I I honestly think I prefer that way you specify this. I'm not a huge Stranger Things fan. I don't like dislike the show, it's just not my cup of tea. But I think I prefer the artwork for most of these over Stranger Things. I think if you're a magic fan, these like fit the theme of the game super well. Most of these are from a specific plane. Like, obviously, we've got a lot of uh, Innistrad overlap. Mm-hmm. It's so... It's, they're so beautiful. Like, the art looks very Innistrad as well, and just the character styles on these. Um, I have a personal favorite of all the new arts. I don't necessarily like the abilities in the card, but hands down, I think my favorite of all the new arts for these uh, is Bajorna Nightfall Alchemist. Because that one is straight up Betty White watching the world burn. <laughs> I gotta get a closer look at this now. <laughs> no, yeah, you definitely need to give it a closer look. Because she's straight up... <laughs> yes. You're laughing because I know you're seeing it right now. <laughs> no, yeah, you're, you're totally right. That's... <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> like even the artist said, I designed this while thinking of the Joker and the original Dark Knight. And you know when he's in the nurse's outfit trying to click the button to watch yeah. everything blow up? That's oh. that's what this is. Like do you, the artist said this and it's freaking great. Do you know that the button not working on the first time wasn't scripted? That was like an accident, and it, I think it made the scene so much better. <coughs> I think some of the best unscripted things that they keep in movies, they keep because they're like, this is amazing. Yeah. It's so good. Um, but yeah, should we go over these since we, d- we haven't on the channel before, and it's a secret layer, so maybe some people haven't heard of them. Yeah, uh, so a major mechanic of all but one of these uh, cards coming out is friends forever so it's like partner and it's like partner with in a way so friends forever uh you can have two commanders if both have friends forever so these are not going to work with any of the other partners but they're going to work with more than the partner with so yep all of these except for the black terror is going to be able to partner with each other however you want. And there's some and the land, of course. <laughs> uh yeah, the land. Uh I oh, I forgot to look at the land. Oh, it's so good. So <laughs> you should look at this land really well, Josh. It is it so is a the card land, after your heart. The land transforms. Um it's tap out of colorless legendary land Havengul laboratory. Uh mm-hmm. pay for tap investigate. Ooh. I'm putting this in my Fane deck. Um, yep. Because Fane tokens or maybe actually... a core. Uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My core is pretty tight right now. Um, but at the beginning of your end step, if you sacrifice three or more clues this turn, transform mm-hmm. Havengul Laboratory. Now, when it transforms into Havengul Mystery, you return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. When the, when the creature put onto the battlefield with Havengul Mystery leaves the battlefield, you transform Havengul Mystery back. And it has the ability to tap, pay one life, add black. And it pays taps for a colorless on the other side. It's versatile. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I don't think I could use it in my core, uh, because I don't have any clue production outside of Fane. And a lot of my Fair shells enough. don't have enough creatures, uh, like my Voltron deck. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, it wouldn't really pan out. Now, with Fame, definitely, because people are going to mm-hmm. kill my Manufactor, or my Disciple of the Vault, or or my uh, Nightblade, or, or Fame, uh, yeah. and, or the Marionette Master, and I want to get them back to finish up, and that's what that would do, because mm-hmm. I would have the clues. Easy. Yeah. And, and this is really good. Yeah. It's a cool with academy. Like, this is really good with academy manufacturer. So like a big problem, uh, people who play Asmarin and Matina Koldakara, I think I pronounced that right. I don't know. Um, have is there's not a lot of ways to produce food tokens in red black. So this can produce clues, which then of course become food tokens and treasure with academy manufacturer. But can also on the flip side bring back academy manufacturer later. So I think that specific synergy is going to be really good for those food, clue, decks, and black. Um, speaking of red-black, um, 
my thing went up against um, Prosper, and he was doing the exact same thing. We were both like almost mirroring each other through most of the game. <laughs> yeah, Prosper is insane. I, that card is. Those decks go crazy. It it did, it did a lot. It yeah. really really did. But I more got screwed over by the. Um, What's that green creature that when he dies you go get a six cost or less something and put into play? Six cost or less and put in play. Do you mean uh, Protein Hulk seven or total CMC and put into play? Yeah, that guy. Yeah. So yeah. I played a spell though, you know, the food thing. You know, everybody sacks three things, I make three food, and I was like, sweet, I'm gonna get three food, three treasure, three clues, and then this motherfucker brings out Bane of Progress. <laughs> Oh no! Oh yeah! Oh no! Yeah, so I basically get board wiped myself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's the land is really cool. I like it. Yeah. Sorry, that's uh -huh. just some of the ways you could possibly use that land. Like, even if you don't use a lot of clue stuff, sometimes you need draw. So this deck card could work in like a red white deck that doesn't have a lot of draw, or just white, because yeah, yeah. you pay for to make a clue. And then you have to pay well, you, two to sack it, but... You need to be in black to be playing the land. This is true. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, even in Mardu, though, I sometimes have trouble getting draw because I don't want to, like, include too many... Spells. Black, yeah, black spells and stuff. So yeah, it's still, it's still definitely really good. I'm probably going to slot into a couple of decks. Uh, most of my reanimator decks. But, uh, shall we move on to the, uh, next two? Uh, the next two? Oh, um, I guess we start with Arbanox, like, since he's the one without any of the friends forever. That, that's like, actually, yep, that is smart. So Arbanox, four and three and a black, four and three black, legendary enchantment creature, horror. So he mm -hmm. isn't a creature unless you control three or more permanents you don't own. <laughs> um, right up my alley. Uh, yep. At the beginning of your instep, you exile the bottom card of each opponent's library face down. Also up my alley. Um, for yep. as long as those cards remain exiled, you can look at them, you may cast permanent spells from among them, and you may spend mana as or mana of any color to cast them. He is upside down Gaunti. That's what we're dealing with yep. here. And, but he's better. Because mm -hmm. he gets all four cards. You know? Yeah. And, he, and and you have to cast them, which is fair. Yeah. Mm hmm I'm, uh... I'm happy this card didn't just say, at the end of your turn, steal the bottom three cards from each player's deck. Right. Yeah. I think, I think this card's gonna go great in a lot of reanimator decks, because it is still a creature in your graveyard, even if you don't have the three permanents. Um, it's a creature everywhere but in play, unless you control three or more opponents you don't control. Um, it's going to be a great card in Gaunti if you just if you want to keep playing Gaunti and have that ETB synergy, as opposed to Avernox, which is probably going to be like just a hard ramp deck. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you're the mono black expert. Does this guy got you uh, considering making a new shell? Uh, he's going to be one of my shells, guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I've got Gonti, I've got Nashi, um, why wouldn't, I've got Geth, uh, this guy is definitely going to get a shell because I love 
using people's strategies against them. Yeah. And he's right up that alley. Plus, he, he protects himself way better than the others, because I just don't have to cast cards that are permanents so that he stays up in enchantment. Yeah, other people are going to blow him up, but it's harder to blow up an enchantment than it is a 9-9 creature. You know? Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like a mono black god. Is the goal? Yeah, he's. It is. It's er- Erebos Gonti, but not Erebos. <laughs> yeah, I don't have but, devotion uh, equal to my opponent's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think this guy is going to be great. I think a big part of playing him will be uh, hmm, if they target him with creature removal and you sack down when he's in enchantment. The creature removal fizzles, right? Because he's no longer a valid target. He's no longer a creature. Yep, I would I would put as many sack outlets in this deck as you could so you can kind of dodge and weave around different kinds of removal. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course he will always be an enchantment though, so always. Yeah. Alright. Um So do we want to start with Sophina and Wernog? For because there is uh, yeah. se- there's seven friends forever. Uh, we'll cover them mm-hmm. really briefly. Uh, we'll cover the one actual spoiled card, uh, which uh, leads into a cycle that's probably going to happen this set. And then we're going to go into the power level discussion. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you go ahead and start talking about those. I'm going to be right back and make some coffee, so I'll be right here. Yeah, um, so we have Sophina Spear Sage Deserter. Uh, two red-white for a 4-4 legendary creature human soldier with menace. Uh, when Sophina Spear Sage Deserter attacks, investigate once for each non-token attacking creature. Uh, friends Forever. So that's huge, right? Um, this gives you so much card draw in red-white. It's a human, so you can play it in Winota. Um, and you, you should just... This is one of those cards, if you have a red-white uh, attack-based deck, um, you want this. Because a big weakness of red-white is having an appropriate amount of card draw. Uh, this gives you card draws of mana sync, uh, which often you'll have too much of once you run out of cards in hand. Um, so you can just kind of dump these out, uh, dump these tokens out. Um, it's not limited, so for each creature you have attacking, you get a token. This is just going to be a great card. It works with having the laboratory if you flex into black, but I think definitely, you know, this is going to be a great commander for a combat team deck. Uh, maybe it'll struggle a little because none of the uh, other friends forever really work great with combat. But all in all, Sophia's going to be a card. We'll see a lot in the 99, I think. Uh, she does need to attack, so a haste outlet is required. But yeah, this is an insanely good card for Red White. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, <laughs> it's got 4 mana, 4-4 four, four menace. So right there, good stats. And at yep. minimum when it attacks, you're going to get one clue. <clears throat> yep. So, and uh, she's red white, so you might not see her with the uh, with the Havengul lab unless you partner her with someone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you'll have to partner into black for Havengul lab. But there's other mm-hmm. options, I'm sure, because red white, plenty of investigating. Um, it's a yeah. thing. <laughs> All right, so. Um, in- Oh, sorry. I definitely agree with your assessment on the rest of the thing. Is like if you're going wide, she's amazing. Um, yeah. With less tokens, obviously. And uh, mm. so. But even if you're playing a token deck, you'll still probably have plenty of non-token stuff to go in with, right? Yeah. Why not? I mean. Yeah. 
token decks don't rely strictly on the tokens. They normally just bolster yeah. and make lots of triggers and stuff. And like stuff like Brymaz and Hero of Bladehold that are your token generators still attack to do that. And like if you just attack with those two and this, that's three clues a turn. I mean, for red white, that's huge. It is. Yeah. It's a lot of draw option for sure. And if you're lacking yep. draw, uh, Sophina's gonna be your ninety nine. She's gonna be a hero. Um, <laughs> next up on that is Wernog, white black, uh, Wernog Riders Chaplain, legendary creature, human, one two. Mm -hmm. Real small, but for a reason. So, when he enters or leaves a battlefield, each opponent may investigate. Okay, so this is kind of similar to uh, the uh, there's a item uh, a contracts, and for each opponent who doesn't loses one life, uh, and you investigate mm -hmm. X times where X is one plus a number of opponents who investigated this way. So basically, you offer your opponents a clue or they can lose one life yep and honestly i feel like a lot of times people are going to take the clue because yeah, almost why not now they may only do that like once and then they're like okay that's enough because if you're playing a four-player game and all three of them take that clue because they need to draw you're getting four clues for for two mana yeah, I uh, this is probably the card I was the most excited about. Um, I love politics in games. Uh, what was that old mechanic? It wasn't contract. It was the three in a green. There was a, the best cards the three in the green ramp spell from it. Oh, uh, the temptings. Yeah, tempting offer. All the yeah. Temps. This is yeah. Uh, this is just tempt every turn, but for clues. Uh, so it's not even the biggest like. Deal, right? Like, even if you're getting the clues, you still have to pay pay for them, so it's a little fair. I think this card can be, like, a good value generator, um, and I think it's super fun. You get to talk to your opponents, you get to kind of make deals with them to get your clues or not. Um, you can run stuff to where, like, if they lose a life, you gain a life or they lose additional life, so it, like, it becomes more enticing to give you the clue. I think the biggest thing about him is going to be running uh, ways to really benefit off those clues. So you'll want to see cards like Tamio's Journal, you'll want to see Pavigal now, um, Academy Manufacturer, that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. now it doesn't happen every turn, but it'll at, at minimum, for the first time you cast him, you're going to probably get it twice because he's going to enter, it's going to happen, and when he leaves the battlefield, it's going to happen. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, yeah, I thought it was at the start of your turn. That's my bad. Even then, no, that would be too good. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Even then, it's a good value generation. It's going to help you get the things. If you're playing a token deck, it's even better. If you're playing mm -hmm. it for just for the draw or the politics, still great. Great friend. Yeah. Great friend forever. Yeah. And it leaves the battlefield, not dies. So flicker synergies do work. Absolutely. And then when he comes back, yeah. oh. 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 <laughs> might have to build that. You might be seeing me with a new deck very soon. <laughs> um. Um, so you pick the next one. Yeah, I was just going to go down the list in our Discord. I was going to do uh, Hair Guild? Hair Guild Day, uh, maybe. Har Who knows? Hair Guild Day and Off Helm. God. Can we get some easier to pronounce names? R&D. <laughs> Please. <laughs> right. We're all yeah, out of easy uh, names. <laughs> 
We still haven't seen Steve, uh, Capernia Dueler. That's the new card. <laughs> but uh, Har Hargild, uh, Kindly Rune Chanter, is 2 white blue for 2-3 legendary creature human. Tap, add colorless, colorless. Spend this mana only to cast artifact spells or activate abilities of artifacts. Friend forever. I think we've literally seen this card in blue-black. Um, uh, I think it was Talnos. Uh, in a recent uh, set. Uh, it was a good card, but either way, I mean, this is what you want to see. And this is, I think, white-blue uh, is decent for artifact synergy. You'll want to flex this into red, though. I think if your friend's forevering this, grab red. Maybe grab the red-white card. This is the exact amount of mana to pop a clue, so this can just let you pop a clue every turn. Or, but, or, uh, or do equipments. Yeah, or to, or to equip stuff. But yeah, I think when you see this card, you're going to see it with a red partner. Um, Probably a lot of artifact synergy, for sure. Yeah, and then... But yeah, it's going to be a great card. I, I'm I'm excited for it. I think there's going to be a lot of... I think it'll be a great card in the 99 of a lot of token decks, like uh, mm -hmm. Brea, mm -hmm. uh, oh, the four-color artifact lady. You yeah. See her. That, yeah. That hoe bag. Or you may see her as part of a secret commander pairing to play a Brea deck without playing Brea. To not auto-generate all the hate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, very simple. Does what it does. Like, there's no... You either you're going to play with artifacts or activate them. That's what she does. Uh, the next card, though, oh, yeah. I am so excited He's for. He's interesting. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's one green and a white for Othhelm, Sigardian Outcast. At 2 2, legendary creature. Yep. They're all human, by the way. All of them. Uh, his yeah, ability all is. All of them except for the Nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> so, 2 tap, uh, choose target creature card in your graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn. Return it to the battlefield tapped. In green white, that's crazy. Like, that is such a mono black style ability, uh, but it's in green white. That's crazy good. Like, yeah. Green white doesn't, hasn't, as far as I know, before the, before the, uh, Stranger Things, didn't have a, an ability like this to bring back something on a tap. Like, on, on a click and fire point thing, you know? Um, like, most of them are kind of one shots or swing to yeah. attack. It was like swing to attack. It was kind of or like one offs like um, oh what's the lady popcorn placer, uh, oh now I can't remember it. It's Han's sister, Hans Ericsson. Yeah, or uh, uh, Eternal Witness. <laughs> I feel so bad. But yeah, or Eternal Witness. A lot of those still would go back to your hand, and very few would go to mm -hmm. play. This guy's, and in green white, there's plenty of ways you can find to untap him. Like yeah crazy and yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for this card it's gonna it's gonna do some things and it's just a creature card but that doesn't stop him from synergizing with artifact creatures that may get mm -hmm. involved in one of the other commanders and stuff mm -hmm. so really cool like yeah some durability for a green white deck for their cards the more creatures you play obviously the better options he has yeah, I'm probably going to build him. I might partner him with uh, 
Wernog, so you can like sack Wernog, get his leave the battlefield effect, bring him back at his ETB. Safi Eric's daughter was the card I was thinking of. Um, nice, nice. But yeah, green-white reanimator has been like a thing that's been like pseudo-doable. I think AJ in the ABU Discord was building a deck around it a while ago. Um, and I think this pushes it over to where like I could see people running this just by itself to play green-white reanimator, which is a super fun strategy I would recommend. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That brings uh, us to the next set. Yeah. I wanted to see something. Oh, by the way... <laughs> I guess have you have you watched Stranger Things? Yes, I have. Got you. Um, the original card <laughs> designs were very on point uh, for the. That, that's what I was gonna ask. Yeah, for the the characters that went with them, that their abilities and stuff, so very on point with the characters and what they did in the show, like, yeah. and their their hallmark memorable moments and stuff. Uh, so Cecily Haunted Mage, one mm -hmm. blue black red, so Grixis. Uh, legendary yep. creature. This is the only one that is a human and a wizard. So there's that. All the others are just human. Uh, yep. Oh, one was a human soldier. Oh yeah, that would be the cop uh, from this show. <laughs> that makes it so much funnier, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's the old guy cop in the show. Uh, they call him the sad chief. Uh, uh, so... First ability, that's a 3-5, by the way, for 4, so that's pretty cool. Um, your mm -hmm. first ability is your maximum hand size is 11. So that's really crazy if you think about it. Like, why? But yeah. it plays in. It's like, so whenever Cecily attacks, or a Cecily, who knows, uh, you draw a card and you'll lose a life. Okay. Then, if you have 11 or more cards in your hand, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand without paying its mana cost. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, getting to play an instant during combat without paying its cost, that's cool. But you could drop out a sorcery in the middle of combat at instant speed, basically, for free. Yep. Like, all of a sudden, you enter the infinite in the middle of combat, and it's like, what the f*** just happened, you know? And then yep. the world ends. Welcome to Stranger yeah. Things. Uh, <laughs> There's also a lot of cool sorcery speed uh, remo uh, combat tricks you could pull out mm -hmm. with this. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, she's super interesting. I think if you've played any big spell deck, you'll know what you're doing with this card. Um, she's you know, she's I, very I, much I, along the lines of Jaleva. Yeah, exactly. The other I attack trigger caster. I would recommend against Enter the Infinite. Uh, that's just me, because I think it's kind of one of those things where you just do it and win and move on. Yeah, um, it was just on the top of my head of, like, dumb things. No, to yeah, do totally. With this. No, I think, I, I think that's suggest, a great example. It's just dumb. <laughs> yeah. I think if you want to, like, play with this card and really, like, have... I don't know. I feel like I'm being a little uh, grandstanding when I say I actually have fun with it, but I think uh, what I'm more trying to say is if you want to, like, really build a deck where you can like do a lot of cool stuff with this you can and uh i think just entering the infinite with this is a really good strategy and if you want to play to get wins that's totally a valid way to play um and this card will help you with that and doing that is a decent strategy it's obviously not going to be cdh but this i think has a lot of cool stuff you can do with like cheating out 
weird instances in sorceries that wouldn't normally fit into that spot. Like, because it's such a weird time frame to cast spells. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you definitely are going to want a lot of cards and stuff in there that draw you a lot of cards, or things that make you have no maximum hand size. Um, so things that mm -hmm. give you cumulative advantage by removing things on the board and drawing you cards to replace themselves at minimum are going to be extremely beneficial in this kind of a commander for sure. And of course, you could pair her with anybody else to get you that kind of advantage. Like, oh yeah, get her friends forever with the the clues when you attack. So mm -hmm. put Cecily with Sophina, uh, the sad cop, and you've got uh, four color, no green. You know, and then Sophina and Cecily attack. You draw two. Uh, you get two clues. Uh, you draw a card. And if you need to, you can pop those clues uh, to make sure you get to 11 cards, if you have the mana, to cast free stuff. Like, it synergizes. It's really good. Mm -hmm. And, oh no, they kill they kill your Cecily, but if you're playing off helm. You'll pay two mana and put her back. <laughs> you know? Uh, I think off helm's probably going to be the most common one, just so you can flex into five colors with her. This is true. And then all the spells you can cast... <laughs> yep. Like um, the five color one, search for a card of, of every color. Boom. Conflux, yeah. Conflux, and now your hand size is super huge, and you're definitely going to be able to trigger her ability with that, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking I'm probably going to do like Sicily ultimatums if I built her. Okay, elaborate. So you attack with Sicily, um, and then you cast like Cruel Ultimatum during combat. Oh, actual so, ultimatums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, no, not like making my opponents make choices that there's really no answer to. Yeah, I'm gonna... the Because we have the... Oddly enough, the Alara sh ultimatums, and then we have the uh, Akori ultimatums. So that's ten pretty powerful big drop sorcery cards that will be awkward to play against in combat, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can oh, yeah. see that. You can also cast, like... Go Rook's Wake during combat <laughs> and just destroy all of your opponent's creatures, which seems silly to me. Oh. It's about sending yeah. a message. Um. And then we have Elmar, Ulvenwald Informant for one red green. Um, which is our next card, obviously. Uh, 3 2, Legendary Creature, Human, Haste. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, untap target creature, then investigate. Friends forever. Uh, he's cool. <laughs> I think he's a little... I think compared to a lot of these, he's a little limited. If you, if you catch what I'm saying, like, his effect is kind of... Second spell each turn, so you're going to need to be quick casting stuff. Um, I think the best thing you use that untap for is, like, a mana generator. But... Hmm. I don't know. I think this is probably my least favorite out of the bunch. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but you could also pair it with, like, the one when all your creatures attack, you draw cards for... or you get clues for each non-token. Mm -hmm. And then you make sure you untap to have a blocker and investigate to get an extra clue. And so every time you're investigating, you're setting off all those different investigate triggers that are in the in the red-green 
uh, white, red, green, white. Yeah, and they yeah. have a lot. So I mean, mm-hmm. plus haste. So yeah, three three mana, three two haste, pretty viable. It's mm-hmm. it's really going to be about what you pair them with, and uh, how low cost your deck is because you're going to want to cast at least two things a turn. You know, because yeah. you're going to want some mana generation. You're going to want to be able to pop a clue to get two cards so you can cast two spells and stuff like that, you know, and put things in your deck. Like, uh, with Red Green White, you can play the blue-white guy. Every time you cast a second spell, you draw a card. Or the mm-hmm. red-blue one. Every time you cast a second spell, uh, draw a card. And things like that. Yeah. I guess you could pair them with Hara Guild or Othelm, because they both have pretty powerful abilities that tap them down. Hara Guild gives you two mana, which will help you cast two spells that you can untap her and get two more mana. Othelm, just a really powerful ability. Activating that twice a turn is obviously going to be good. So I, he's definitely more of a support uh, friends forever, I guess. I feel like he's going to be very reliant on the partner and how you're building them. Um, yeah. I do feel like uh, well, there's one more pair to pair with, uh, to be fair, before mm-hmm. say my favorite pairing. Uh, like the one I think is the strongest. Not my favorite. <laughs> um, so we go to the last one. We already talked about Arbanox. So that leads us... Yep. As far as art goes, the best art. Um, Bjor- yeah. Bjorna Nightfall Alchemist. Blue-red. Just a blue-red for a 1-3. That has tap, sacrifice, an artifact. Bjorna Nightfall Alchemist deals one damage to target creature. Goad that creature. <laughs> now, this is the one that I feel pairs with the with Elmar that we just talked about the best. Um, because That's a good point. This one specifically taps down to use his ability offensively. And you sack an artifact, you target uh, something, and you goad them. And so you're going to want to do goad more than one, obvious, Mm -hmm. if you can't. Because a lot of times people who have things that you want to goad, they're going to have more than one thing. Uh, So goading as much as you can, and the art is phenomenal. Oh, that reminds me. Goad's going to be evergreen now. Oh. Yeah, I think Gavin Ver, he uploaded a video about it. Just completely mind-boggling to me, because I feel a weird mechanic, but I, I like the mechanic, so I'm happy about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot but, of text. Yeah, this card's great. I think uh, Goad in red-blue is really good, because you are often not having a very powerful board state, uh, and need to protect yourself to do these powerful, like, big-turn plays. Uh, not just die before you get there. So I think this is great. And while this art is great, I do really like the Stranger Things art of this, where you're just goading people with a slingshot. That idea is just just hit the uh, hit Emrakul with a slingshot and piss him off a little bit. Yeah. Also, it can be very protective. So if someone's yeah. got a Voltron and for whatever reason they don't have Hexproof, you can be like... Yeah, I'm not going to kill your commander, but it's got to hit one of them. <laughs> yeah. No, I think this I think this card is its effect looks small, but in the overall term of the game, the value it generates for you is going to be huge. And it generates politics too. And we know how you like that. Yeah. I I love politics. <laughs> Maybe oh, and with all the investigate synergies like sacrificing one clue when you're making like four a turn in the red white deck Mm -hmm. is nothing you know yeah definitely um so now we've talked about them all i'm gonna say my favorite pairing 
and mm-hmm. that is Bjorna and Wernog. Bjorna and Wernog. Yeah, I was thinking that one would be pretty good. Because, one, mm-hmm. you're getting all these clues, you're causing politics, and then you have Bjorna who's like, okay, you didn't give me a clue. I'm going to go to your creature now. Yep. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think mine's Wernog and Othelm. I think just to generate a bunch of instances of Wernog's ability. And then I'm also just, will be in Abzan Reanimator, which I think is my favorite colors for a Reanimator. And then Othelm's bringing back Wernog if you sack him or something. Yep. yep. Sack Wernog, get his leave the battlefield effect. Othelm, bring him back, he ETBs. Oh. Go to town. Get a Clark Clan Ironworks out, start sacking those clues. <laughs> or a Marionette Master. And they, oh god! <laughs> and my favorite card in my Fane deck for all those clues is uh, Extruder. Extruder. Four, four cost Echo artifact creature. Um, <coughs> you sacrifice an artifact, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. That's all it does. <laughs> so I've been using it to put. Cl- I I sack all these clues and stuff that I'm making with, like, the manufacturer or the clues from Wernog, yeah. and, and I put all those clues, those plus one, plus one counters onto Marionette Master. Oh, God. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Uh, Marionette Master is so underrated. I do not, not see that long. card enough. Not for long. yeah. Like, I literally, like I told you, I was in that game against the Prosper that was playing much like my food deck, and we were both playing marionette master and like two, two of them two of that strategy in the same game like that it's not going to be uncommon for long like people are yeah. catching on especially Josh with is... all the clue food and token generation treasures and shit that's happening it's getting a, mm-hmm. it's getting more known for sure josh is slowly going to turn the entire spell table community into marionette master players <laughs> I'm just trying to spread the food, you know? Yeah. Um, I need more food generation in black without playing Asmo. Yes. That guy. Um, um, we've got one card left. We have, I'm actually really excited about it. This one is the actual spoiler for this set. And yep. it spoils a return of an old cycle. So break it down for us. Yeah, so Broker's Ascendancy is a blue, white, uh, green enchantment. Uh, that's it. Three mana. Uh, and at the beginning of your end step, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Already great, but there's more, as many green-blue cards have. And add a loyal and add a loyalty counter to each Planeswalker you control. It, as if it attracts a needed more amazing staples to throw in their deck, this card is insane. Right? I, yeah. Now, the thing I always point out, like, obviously, yes. If you're going wide, this card's for you. If you're playing Planeswalkers, this card's for you. If you're in between, Mm -hmm. this card's for you. Um, Yeah. The other thing that I was pointing out here is that the key word in the card name, Ascendancy. Yes. And in the the old uh, things like Bant, and Mardu, there was ascendancy enchantments. 
and yep. they're coming back. Like, there was Timur Ascendancy, but now we're getting the other half of those Ascendancies in the other Pi uh, tri-cycles. Tri yeah. Triomes, sorry. You know what I'm saying? Like Yeah, so we had Ascendancies for all the uh, Cons of Tarkir tribes. Right. But uh, never the uh, Alara set. And, and now we're getting them. Yeah, so this is probably going to be a cycle of costing one of each of the group's colors for an enchantment with a pretty good effect. And, um, and they kind of have varying effects. Like, Mardu Ascendancy had, like, a ET... Whenever non-token creature you control attacked, you made, like, a goblin, and then you could sacrifice it to do something. Absan Ascendancy had, like, an ETB and a passive effect. So they're not all going to work the same, unless they decide to make it all end-of-turn effects in this set. Mm-hmm. But there's no precedent for that, so we, I don't really know what we're going to be expecting. I think Broker's Ascendancy is looking strong, and if they're all around this power level, get ready to start slotting these into commander decks. Like, this can... If you're playing a creature or a planeswalker deck, this should go into it, probably. And this may give us an idea of what we're expecting from Bant in this set. Yeah. Uh, or the Brokers, to be fair. Um... Yep. Obviously, it looks like there's going to be planeswalkers at minimum, and mm -hmm. a lot of um, going wide. Like it, we might just see a bunch of weenie swarms or or modified or counter generation in these colors. We obviously already have a lot of that in blue and green white <laughs> already in commander and such, and this card's going to be great. Like mm -hmm. it makes me want to remove it because plus one loyalty to any, any planeswalker or creature that you put at the end of turn like what like there, things can go bad and it's in blue which means there's already planeswalkers i'm not going to be happy to see period yeah this is a this is a card you'll need to look out for like hold up enchantment removal for this if you're playing against a planeswalker deck especially i think the counters are really good but i don't think they're like Backbreaking, but an extra loyalty counter on planeswalkers can be the difference of like alting two turns earlier in some cases with like weird breakpoints and abilities. Yeah, this is a this is a great card. I am really excited to put this in a lot of decks. Not so excited to play against it in a lot of decks. And that's what we're gonna have to look at, and um, it's it's gonna be crazy. Like yeah. we're gonna expect. I'm expecting a lot of cool things to come from the ascendancies of the other uh, shards for this set, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be crazy. The set's going to be phenomenal. Like, I feel yeah. like Kamigawa did a lot of cool things, like vehicles and, and shrines and sagas are a thing now. Uh, so it's like, I'm looking forward to see what they did with this. Honestly, I would have rather had another set of Kamigawa but for whatever reason they're like nah we're gonna stretch ourselves even thinner um, by running out of places to go every set instead of every two sets but whatever <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe they're just trying to get to their next supervillain since Bolas is gone now um, yeah well I think it, it it also lets us see more variety of places to be fair like, yeah we've only been know, to Innistrad like five times you know yeah, but but like we get to see like Call Time, Strixhaven, um, and then we also get two refreshes. Where I think if we did the two or three set cycle, we probably would have only gotten like 
call time Strixhaven in Kamigawa, but instead we I mean, call time uh, Innistrad Kamigawa, or call time Strixhaven Kamigawa, but instead we get call time Strixhaven, a return to two sets, and then another new set. Another new plane, yeah. Um, yeah. But there's some planes we just shouldn't have to go back to over and over and over again. Uh, th- that being said, if we go back to Ravnica again, I'm going to tear my hair out. Or Innistrad. <laughs> like, seriously, I'm over it. Yeah. At least, hopefully, if we if we do go back to Innistrad, there's like, I don't know, maybe like step away from the. I don't need I don't need to hear about Soren again. <laughs> I do not need to hear about Soren. Yeah, he's depressing. <laughs> One more time. Yeah. It's like he's... oh we can't we can't talk about our pet boy from TSR uh, Dritzdauer, and so we're gonna talk about the vampire version of the Dark Elf. And we're gonna talk about Soren. <laughs> I'm an emo vampire. Pity me. I'm not Maybe. getting married. <laughs> Maybe I would have liked Sword more if I didn't just watch Castlevania before reading his story in uh, Midnight Hunt. Like, uh, this is just this is just worse Alucard. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, and Alucard's older than magic. Yeah, yeah. Like the anime Vampire Hunter D, older than magic. Period. The main character of Vampire Hunter D is an Alucard-like character. Castlevania Vampire Symphony Hunter of the Night. D? Yes, Vampire Hunter D. What the fuck is... <laughs> is this like a big thing I haven't heard about? Or is this like uh, kind of an obscure thing? Um, it's only obscure to the younger generation, I guess you could say. But it was one of the best anime movies I watched when I was younger. Uh, that oh, and oh, it's a movie, it's a movie. Anime movie, yeah. That yeah. and Ghost in the Shell um, and Akira were like my top three anime movies of all time. And not including yeah. anything from Ghibli. God, Studio Ghibli's so good. <laughs> and basically, in Kamigawa, I just had my Ghost in the Shell set. And Innistrad, mm-hmm. they keep trying to pull off Vampire Hunter D, and I'm like, no, you're bad. Uh, Soren's <laughs> a whiny punk. And and D for Dompiel, which is half vampire, half human, uh, it was a BA, you know? He didn't yeah. mess around. And they're not going to get an Akira, so I hope they sure as hell don't try him. I'm, I'm tired of that. I mean, we did get Mutate. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But yeah, no. It, uh... Yeah, I like when they take inspiration from like I don't know. I think Soren is a little heavy. His stories, since uh, Cause of Tarkir, have been a little heavy-handed with him being kind of a punk. He he just makes really bad decisions that somebody I think is as old and wise as Soren should not be making. Over and over, <laughs> and over again. And yeah. he feels bad about it every time, but he doesn't correct himself he is such a <laughs> he's uh... but god his cards are so good <laughs> Ugh. yeah yeah all right so that's all the we spent a lot more time <laughs> on that stuff than we thought we were going to being honest yeah um uh... but there's a lot of cool stuff about it and how it ties into casual play and stuff like that to think about so we know we're getting new lands that we can fetch out or we're, that can cycle. We're getting new ascendancies. Uh, the 
most of the thing we spent time on was talking about the previously Stranger Things guys that are going to be in the uh, collector's boosters in the commander decks and inside the set where the list cards could be. So you may not yep. guaranteed be able to say, I want that card. It's in that deck. No, but they're going to be available and it's going to yeah. be cool. And I like them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to have a go into a brief uh, beginning of a conversation that's never really going to end. Uh, because we're going to have <laughs> situations where we're going to talk about it a lot. How and, much? Uh, yeah. How much time do you have for that conversation? Out of curiosity. Um, well, um, without being slightly distracted, I have ten, fifteen minutes. But uh, we can we can we can get the conversation <laughs> rolling for about thirty minutes or so um, before gotcha. I have right. to actually not talk anymore. So. Because yeah, right. I do have a job. We record this podcast right before my shift of uh, doing technical support for some stuff that's overseas. So, yeah, Sunday afternoons is actually 7 a.m. for where I technically work. Uh, <laughs> so, oh. we're going to begin a short conversation here about power levels and the, 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 the pre-game discussion. We'll get more into actually figuring out your power levels later, obviously when we have more time. But we do need to talk about the pregame talk, you know, because mm-hmm. it's important. And I I have a couple examples of reasons why it's important to do such a thing. Now, the pregame discussion, or as many people call it rule zero and the premise is is before the game starts before you pick your decks and such you have a brief conversation with people at your table especially if they're people you haven't played before to figure out what kind of game people are looking for what kind of things they don't want to see what kind of things that they intend to do sometimes without revealing their entire deck strategy um, and in a lot of conversations, it revolves to figuring out power levels of people's decks. And that's the convoluted conversation that'll happen lever- later, is figuring out actual power levels. But it's important, you know? Because this is the kind of thing that helps prevent you, per se, Brian, sitting down with your chainer <laughs> deck... Um, and if you didn't have a conversation, you're like, cool, I'm going to do this. This is going to be awesome for me. And you about three turns in, you realize that two of the players at your table are either playing a pre-con or are literally in two weeks into playing magic and or commander. So whereas in some situations you think this is a pretty fair halfway deck for my meta, it now becomes much stronger because your opponents don't have an idea of what you're doing. And one has a deck that they don't know what it's doing because either they're new or the deck's so new that it hasn't been able to be tuned to handle anything outside of its parameters. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I feel like the discussion is important is to make sure that you're not, for me, that discussion is important to ensure that even though you're going to be able to 
change what you're playing to have fun. It's not making other people feel like they didn't play the game. They yeah. were just so I think riding along. Go ahead. So I think a big part of that discussion is kind of talking to your uh, opponents about, you know, first off, where where are they with Commander? If they're a long time, if they're a new player, you can just end it right there. Play against them with like a kind of more lower power Commander deck. Um, you know, it's uh, it's hard to decide what's a lower power Commander deck. I think with more experience, it becomes easier to gauge, and hard and fast systems are hard to make for it because it's really dependent on what you're used to. But um, I think uh, I think a big thing that's important about it is understanding that when you're sitting down with them, what their deck wants to achieve. And I think I said this a couple episodes back, so I'll, I'll kind of shorten it. But like, um, is your deck's goal to? turbo out and win the game in the fastest possible time or is your deck's goal to create an engine of value that will help them persist into the late game and when there is your deck's goal to control out your opponents and prevent them from losing resources i think it's it's good to note like because if you can find out what your deck's goal in the game is you can decide if that's the kind of goal that'll be good for playing against these people and having fun. And just because your goal is to stop them from doing powerful things doesn't mean that's bad, right? Like, that's just a control archetype. But you need to understand, you probably shouldn't be doing a deck tuned to do that against people trying to turbo out and win the game as soon as possible against people who are trying to just play the game and create, like, a big board of dinosaurs with Kishath, right? You don't need as much. You're bringing... It's like taking a tank rifle to a person, you know? Um, so there's blank. different levels of... Yeah, there's different levels of control that you need, right? Like, you don't need to bring all this, like, hard and fast control to stop somebody playing... Let's just use Gishaf Dinosaurs, because I used that before. When it's tuned to beat um, Cody... Uh, Cody... Uh, CDH. Right. Yeah. Like... Get, bear in mind that let's say you're playing at a table and three people have they got their pre-con last week they upgraded a little bit a little bit we'll say so it's still mostly that pre-con like that same strategy of that commander in most of those situations those are aggressive like board state decks like they're not combo-y they're not uh, some of them are spell slingers, but generally their board state matters. So don't have a deck for that you plan on playing for the, against those games where it's just, uh, this is 10 board wipes and and uh, regurgitating my creatures because I know I'm going to board wipe. They're not going to be <laughs> able to handle that kind of a strategy in a slightly upgraded precon or a new player. They're not, they're basically taking them out of the game almost every turn guaranteed like yeah. their decks are probably around a turn 10 capability of winning the game so if you can stop a game win every single turn for 10 turns that's a bit much yeah and it, but it's like it's not the problem of playing control itself mm -hmm. it's just the level you're at and like you know, if you're playing uh, Reanimator, right? Like, I don't want to bring 
uh, entomb, I don't want to bring that kid deck, that's whole goal is to just entomb, um, what's it called, Protein Hulk, reanimate him, sacrifice him, get out, just get, bring, bring in, uh, I'm forgetting the name of it. <laughs> right. You can tell I haven't played Commander in a bit. Bringing in the creature that reanimates with an ETB is Viscerous here, bring it back, sack him, bring in Micaeus, bring him back again, go get Triskelion, right? Like, that's a reanimator archetype, like, for sure. Right, but that's but like turn five deck. or turn six, maybe that's happening. Yeah. And you don't want to bring something like that against a deck that might be able to do something similar on turn ten. Like, yeah. that kind of turn disparity is bad. Like, mm-hmm. and the and the problem isn't that I'm playing reanimator, right? Like, it's that I'm playing a reanimator deck that's goal is to win on turn ten, as opposed to playing a reanimator deck where maybe on turn five I'm just entomb reanimating like Grave Titan. You know, I'm getting it out early for way less mana. I still have mana left to do stuff to value off of it, but I'm not winning the game. Yeah, like if you think about it, um, consider a precon as a turn ten deck. Uh, and if you tune a precon, if you make it where it can do that, maybe a little bit faster, some better mana, better rocks, it comes down from ten, ten turns to maybe eight, you know? Mm-hmm. And in, even then, it's like, still, it's eight turns. And if you're, if, you're, if you're sitting at a table like that, you think about it that way. Like someone says, hey, I've got a tuned precon. Someone says, uh, I've built this, it's pretty tuned. It's not necessarily the power levels of the decks that I feel you should talk about. I feel you should more talk about the the speed at which they can win. And that's my personal preference. We can get more into that, obviously, mm. later, because it's a deep topic. And it it's very situational, table-based, meta-based, you know, who you play with, if you play with them before type of thing. But you don't want to bring something for fun wise that's either three turns slower or three turns faster than what other people are saying and yeah generally when you say hey my deck might win on turn seven to nine like on average that's Mm -hmm. a pretty good field and so you're like okay my deck could win turn six to eight that's still pretty good your average is their low or their fastest so depending on interaction you can balance out but you don't bring mm-hmm. a, a five to seven against an eight to nine or an eight to ten yeah like you're not even on the same wavelength that could be affected by card power individual card efficiency things like that you know uh, more tutors usually makes things faster so you know just consider what, how much tuning and work you've done to your deck to make it faster versus how much they don't even know about that yet. Yeah. Um, and and, and by the way, the stacks high- players. Oh, sorry, this, I was going to say stacks players. This doesn't mean you get to say your deck's turn 20 and ruin some poor pre-god player's life. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't even, you know- I don't even like the word stacks on the same page as casual. <laughs> I don't feel like yep. stacks is anything casual because casual is the wording is for commander is generally for having a fun game. And if <laughs> someone has fun playing against stacks, I haven't met them. 
Yeah. That's a good point. It's it stacks are very uh, antithetical to I think the idea of casual. I think there's classy ways to run stacks pieces in your deck without it. Your the goal of your deck being to create people not to create a situation where people can't play. I think there's a difference between a stacks deck and a deck that plays a few key pieces. I also feel like you shouldn't really bring a combo deck against newer players or lower powered decks. Because, yeah, okay, it took you to 10 turn to turn 8 or whatever to combo off, but everyone else at the table is going to feel like they just wasted all that time just for you to slowly pull the trigger. Yeah, I, uh, I think it depends. I think there's definitely some fun combos you can play in Commander, but I think... Um, just because you're doing like a slow two-card combo, I think it's the nature of the combo itself. Is it like this two-card combo that the only thing slowing you down is getting to the mana to do anything? Or is it a uh, like a combo where you're like establishing pieces on the board to perform a task where you still have to interact with people and protect your pieces? Um, I think there, there definitely are. So I definitely don't think there's a strategy that other than pure stacks that's like not able to be played in uh, Commander, in Casual Commander, but I think... I don't uh, like Oracle. Yeah, don't don't be just... Don't, yeah. <laughs> I think Casual Commander, I think the main goal is to have an interactive game. I think there's a lot of combos where the only real interaction to them is to counter them, which leaves it up to realistically two colors. I know there's a few white counter spells and situational counter spells in other colors, but... Yeah, so I just think when you're sitting down at a table and you're having that discussion, if you don't really have a way to judge your power level, uh, just think about, like, um, you know, try to put yourself in the other person's shoes, right? Uh, it's, like, the biggest thing about life in general. Just, like, think about um, how you would feel in the other seat playing against your deck, you know? Um you, you never want to be in a scenario where you feel like there was nothing you could have done in the game to win from turn zero. I think that's why this discussion matters, right? Right. Yeah. It's so that even if the results of the game, someone ended up not having fun or not enjoying it as much as they wanted to, the, the discussion beforehand is with the intent to try to create that scenario. Someone may not have a lot of fun in the game just because, well, people just happen to draw board wipes uh, individually. Like, three different people board wipe during the game. And yeah, that sucks for a go-wide deck. You know, that may be their downside. But the other people were still about their same level where if they people hadn't board wiped, they might not have gotten there either. You know? Mm -hmm. But the intent to try and create a fair, fun, non-degenerate game is there. And, like, yep. if you're if you're having your discussion, and one of the key things I like to ask is, what kind of strategy do people not want to see? And my thing is, is I don't want to see instant win combos. Like, Thoracle. It's just not fun for me. And yeah. I'm pretty sure that means not for a lot of people except for the people playing Thoracle. And someone else might say... You know, besides our league, where there is no infinites 
and mass land destruction. Some might say they don't want to see mm -hmm. any land destruction. You know, that's cool. That's a good preference to have. And another person to say, yeah. I don't want to, I don't like mill. Mill is annoying. You know, that's cool. You mm -hmm. know, don't, if you have a little bit of mill, don't mill that person. Yeah, not a big deal. Um, yeah. And then uh, there's oh. other people just like, I don't like other people playing with my cards. You know, that's a, that's a legitimate concern. Because mm -hmm. if you're face to face with somebody, you know, they may have a lot of expensive cards that they just don't want you having your grubby paws on. And I do sometimes have mm -hmm. grubby paws, um, you know, <laughs> and that's legitimate yeah. concerns. I say mostly I have this when I'm in the discussion. It's what do people not want to see? Because that way I yeah. know I'm not going to accidentally rain on someone's parade, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so like an example of this and just because you have a playgroup that doesn't like something doesn't mean you can't build it. For example, uh, Popcorn, uh, one of our uh, biggest helpers in setting... The, actually, just the biggest helper in setting up uh, our Discord. 100%. Um, he doesn't like a Serac uh, Turbo Balance. And I had that deck for a while. And I had other friends who didn't mind playing against it. So, and it, and it wasn't that I was handicapping myself playing against Cameron. I just didn't play that deck against him because he didn't want to see that. So then I played against other people, and I would play the deck. And it's it's way less about not playing something because it's the right or wrong thing to do. It's not playing against people who don't want to see something. Everybody has their own preferences, right? Like, if you, let's say your playgroup really hates blue and just bans blue all out. You're free to do that. But just remember, I'm also free to not play with you. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, the choice is there. Yeah. So it's, re remember when you're banning things to in your playgroup to keep it, like, don't just ban stuff because your friend's playing it and you're losing against it. Um, make sure it's you have a reason to. I think that's a big fear people have. Like, for instance, yeah. um, I wouldn't say ban counterspells, but I would definitely suggest people to limit their deck to not be brawl counterspells, basically. <laughs> yeah. Because Baral's and, name is boring all players. <laughs> yeah, that card is insane. Um, and if you're with friends, you don't need hard and fast rules. You can just come up with like general things that you can just be like, "Hey, dude, uh, don't really enjoy when you play um, Turbo Turbo Fog Angus McKenzie. Would you mind not playing that? Right? It doesn't need to be like a rule. Like nobody can play Turbo Fog or nobody can play Angus McKenzie. But it's just like, hey, don't. Yeah, and you know some of these things that y'all are talking about, they don't have to apply to every game. Yeah, but you can say, "Hey, this deck I'm playing. If you play that deck, I'm literally out of the game." Could you not play that yeah. one? Like that kind of makes sense. It's like Turbo Fog McKenzie. I'm a go. I'm a go wide deck. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. that that I'm not playing the game, basically. Yeah. And and I'm a pretty like no holds person when it comes down to it, like. Uh, as long as I know what's going on, I have a deck for it, really, except for CDH at the moment. Um, but there's been times where I've been like, hey, I got 15 minutes. Can we not play Control this game? <laughs> right. Yeah. I generally, um, my general, like, every time is like, I don't like people being eliminated from, not eliminated from the game, but prevented from playing and having to, and just yeah. feeling like they're sitting there watching. Do not play with yourself at my table. <laughs> Masturbation is for at home, not at not, not at commander. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but 
Yeah, I think I think this is definitely one of those things with players where it's like, uh, I think what kicked off uh, us wanting to talk about this uh, was a specific comment somebody had got. Um, here, let me pull it up right now. Um, I had it pulled up, then I scrolled away from it. Are you talking about why this became a discussion? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this has been a discussion for a while, but kind of what brought it back up. Uh, somebody, uh, I won't say who, said that someone asserted uh, empathetically tonight that the best card in your deck d assigns the power level of the deck, and specifically any deck that runs Mana Crypt should therefore accept any competitive deck at the same table. Um, yeah, this was... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I've had a quicker response time in my life to a Discord message where I just said it wrong. <laughs> um... I, I really don't like that notion. I think the price of a card, or the power level of a card, is nowhere near assertive to the power level of the deck. You can, especially for a card like Mana Crypt, which is so versatile, when you think of it like, Mana Crypt's powerful, it's not in, in, in unless you're in CDH where that one mana is super great, but in casual magic, it actually isn't that much more powerful than Solvern because that one mana isn't as competitive of a resource for you. In CDH, one versus zero mana can be like the difference between like a third of the mana you'll see that game, not counting the mana crypt itself. Yeah, if you so even draw it hard to play it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, so you're telling, so like, I don't know. I didn't like this notion and it brought up the idea of like, you can run really powerful cards in like mediocre decks. And, like, it'll boost your power level a decent bit. I think this is something I might talk about more when I talk about, like, how to budget a deck. Or like, where the pricing of a deck should go. And when but, we talk um, about the actual how to figure out your own power levels and stuff soon, too. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a discussion in the works because it's a variable conversation. There's, it's, there's no right or wrong, really. But there's definitely exactly. some things that are more skewed to one person's preference. And we need to try mm -hmm. and cut that down. Mm -hmm. But I think, I don't know, this just, this kind of assertion annoyed me. Because I don't really think saying that one, the, the thing I like about Commander is the expression you have when building your deck, right? It's 99 cards. I run 33 lands in almost all of my Commander decks. So that's 66 cards plus a Commander, so 67 cards designed for the deck to be mine, right? And saying that one of those 67 cards just deciphers the power level of my entire deck kind of, I feel like, blows away the point of why I build decks, which for me is like, I don't know, 55% of my enjoyment in Commander is building decks. Yeah. Like, as a whole hobby, because I, I think I build decks more than I play. And cards like Mana Vault, for me, if I had one, or Mana Crypt, mm. it wouldn't be to make my deck uh, competitive. For me, kind of like you mentioned, it would be to allow me to play cards that are bad and make them kind of okay. So I can play mm -hmm. terrible board wipes and still be able to like, haha, you know? But it it doesn't make my deck a competitive deck just because mm -hmm. I have things in my deck that a competitive deck would play. Like Soul Ring. Everybody plays yeah. fucking Soul Ring. That doesn't make you a competitive deck. Everybody plays Arcane yeah. Signet. Like, 
there's almost no reason not to play those cards if you have them. Because why not? There's nothing yeah. about those cards that say no. And that'd be like telling a green player, don't play Mana Ramp. P.S. They're going to. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't like the idea of saying, because you play Mana Crypt, you have to be okay to play against CDH. Because that's just wrong, right? Like, I, if I'm running a card in my deck to make me cast the Rook's Wake uh, a little earlier, versus, that doesn't mean I want to play against you playing, um, Acerac. Thoracle. Yeah, or Acerac. Yeah, and it's, On uh, turn two or you three. Know, no hate to the guy, I don't, I don't have his name, nor would I would give it out, and I think... Obviously, this sounds like somebody who is a little flustered in the moment making a claim, and they may have gone back on it, they may have not really meant what they were saying, or maybe they didn't mean it, and that's fair enough, and that sh that's how they want to play the game, and that's how they should with their people, but I don't think that's a precedent I like for the game, nor a rule I would follow myself. I mean, the only way that could possibly be even fair to every player table is if the entire table knew beforehand hey, we're not going to play any fast mana in these decks. That's a thing. But strictly one of those fast mana pieces being someone's excuse for playing a a potentially competitive deck that just doesn't happen to have that. Which, by the way, I have never had one of those, and I've played lots of competitive. It Even that, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, it, it makes a little difference. But... If you're playing a deck that can interact, it doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a little understating their value. I think in competitive, especially, fast man is way better than it is in casual commander. And it depends on the deck, of course, as well. Like I more meant if your deck can interact in casual, they don't make that big of a difference. Oh, oh yeah, in casual. Sorry. I see, I see. I, I, I got a little confused there. I stated yeah. it awkwardly, too, so it's okay. <laughs> But yeah, but just yeah. be considerate of other mm -hmm. people's potential capabilities and not just their deck's capabilities, the player. So even if you're handing someone that's new to the game one of your pretty strong casual decks, remember that not everyone is going to be able to drift a race car on their first time around the track, okay? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, but yeah, we're up to around the hour 30 mark, so do we want to wrap it up here? Yes, we do. <laughs> Sorry, right. yes, I do. I know you got work to do. Yes, yes, but I yeah. do. <laughs> um, all in all, I think this is probably a topic we'll come back to later. Uh, maybe one day we'll make a full episode about it. I don't know. But it, yeah, again, um, it's, it's never set in stone. Things and opinions mm -hmm. change, and so we're going to try and devise something to as a groundwork that isn't strictly card-based, because cards and how much they're played change you know this is going to be we're working on it we're going to get something that we can help be like hey this is a product we use see if that works yeah. for you if it doesn't it doesn't and at the at the end of the day if your group is already having fun playing commander and not in a problem state don't mess with that you know like not every group needs a hard and fast rule not every group needs a rule zero if you're just playing with your friends and you already kind of are at that sweet spot you know yeah, this is just the kind of things to take into consideration if mm -hmm. someone's deck has got to the point where the tables are not having as much fun as they used to. So some things have to yeah. change, especially if you play with this same three to four people every week. 
you know? Y'all have to take that in consideration, because you're probably friends at this point, and everyone should be open to that conversation. Yep. So yeah, uh, with that, uh, check us out uh, Twitter, um, check us out RSS, Apple Music, Spotify. Um, be happy to see you on our Discord. If you have any questions or maybe points to make about this discussion, we'd be happy to hear. This is one of those discussions where every voice really does truly matter. Um, especially at your table. Yeah, especially at your table, and like maybe help us understand what it's like for you, because me and Josh have a really unique background with magic. Um, I haven't played much kitchen table so. magic. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe this is what everybody has. <laughs> but yeah, I'd, we'd love to hear from you. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in. Alright, y'all guys have a good day. See you. Catch you next episode. Yep. Pasta marinara.